Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey everyone, welcome to the episode four of the Iowa Agronomy Update. And to, for today's episode, focus on uh, early season emergence, stand counts, and, and conditions. And, and of course, uh, unfortunately, we will be uh, transitioning to the, to the northern part of our state and, and talk about some of the delays and some of the next steps that, we'll, uh, that we need to be thinking about up there. But, but before we go north, let's, uh, let's start in the southern half of the state. And we've uh, got a new addition to the podcast today. We've got uh, Sue Burkane. Uh, Sue, good morning. Good morning, Brent. Great to have you on the podcast. Hey, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some emergence and, and what you've seen. If you want to give our listeners just a rough idea, uh, the territory that you uh, cover around uh, the state, and just give us a general idea of uh, the highways that you're, you're traveling up and down. For the most part, I cover the, cent- the west central part of the state. I cover Boone Story County over to Audubon and cut south through to the Missouri line. So there's a section of counties in through there. I also go east over into Marion County towards the Pelinoxville market. Great. And so what um, we, uh, we have a lot of corn put in the ground here in a, in a rapid amount of time in the southern, southern part of the state. And we, uh, we've seen uh, we're getting into that fun part of the year. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of our highway scouting time is, is getting a lot more enjoyable now. We're getting to row some corn and beans, uh, especially in your part of the world. What uh, what are some early uh, just early thoughts on the crop as you as you've evaluated a few a few plots so far? As I look across plots or even driving down the highway, it is kind of nice to see the the rows you can take from the field on the in the window as you go by. As we take a look at plots or fields in general, most places where we waited and had the nice warm consistent temperatures when we finally did warm up and a huge amount of corn and then also beans went in the ground, came up at a fairly quick pace. We, we wrapped out the heat units very quickly. We had some nice seven, high 70s, 80 degree temperatures during the day and some nice temps overnight. So a lot of the corn went in the ground and popped right out within a week to at the most 10 days in most places uh, due to that April planting window when we finally did warm up. I know a lot of guys were nervous as we kind of pushed the calendar and kept creeping back later on dates, but in the end it went in in really nice conditions. Yeah, and so was there was there any certain date or any certain pockets or conditions that that may have been less desirable than others that you've seen so far, or or generally uh, a okay? There were a couple places that put in products earlier than we really warmed up in that week of the April seventeenth, oh, eighteenth timeframe. Uh, the April twenty first through May first, we really had a huge planting window of a lot of acres going in the ground. The window that got planted in that April 11th through the 15th time frame, we were still cold. And I know there's been places where people are walking, looking at it. There was not a large amount of crop put in the ground. So they came up. It took a little bit longer to get out of the ground. It was cooler in the soil, which it was because of the soil temps. And it just takes longer for the corn to emerge. So it's a stand to watch. But right now, the fields that I've talked to on with other agronomists and myself looking at things, they haven't had a lot of concern, but it is a crop to watch because it did sit a little longer in the soil because of cooler conditions. 
the main part of the planning season, we were warm enough. There may have been some places that we pushed the season or the envelope because the calendar was making us nervous, or we may have put it in in less than ideal conditions in a portion of the field. Maybe it's a wetter soil pocket, and I would watch some of those as the crop continues to grow and set roots in those furrows. Great. And that's probably pretty consistent to what uh, what we've seen uh, here in the central part of the state uh, as well. Not not a lot got put in here in the in the central part in that that mid April time frame, but certainly that April twenty eighth to twenty ninth time frame, we saw a, a good chunk start start to go in. And 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 just for reference for the listeners, we are recording we are recording this episode here on 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 May fifteenth. So we are. We are uh, have now turned uh, middle part of May and, and starting the downhill slide of, of the May timeframe. So, Sue, as we as we slow down the truck on the highway, or hopefully we get out of the truck and we we venture out into the crop and and start to take some stand counts. You know what um, what are some general rules of thumb uh, that you that you want to basically look look towards whenever we get that trowel and and tape measure and and start to start to look at overall stands as we hop out of the truck go out and take a look across i like to walk quite a ways into the field first to get a good one get past your end rows the packed areas where you run the equipment harvest or spring get out into the field walk across and kind of taking a an assessment of what you're walking over are there missing places and stand are there pockets that have some unevenness where the corn's V2 at one place and it's or V1 and the next door neighbor is not even up out of the ground yet. So I want to walk a little ways to just know that I'm not hitting a fluke spot and get out in the field itself. As I take that tape measure on my 30 inch stand, I'm going to drop that down and look, run it out 17 and a half feet. That's going to give me the one one thousandth of an acre to know did I hit the planting pop that I dropped in the ground. Or am I a thousand off? Am I two thousand off? Or do I have an erratic stand so the third or fourth kernel is not up yet, but everything else is at V1 or above that? What what's the consistency? So if I'm running on the 30 inch, that's a 17 and a half. If I'm running on a 20 inch stand, um, I'm going to look for 26 foot two inches, and I want to take a look for the same. I want to know that I'm consistent. The crop's all the same size. Uh, you also want to take a look if you do have a gap or a shorter plant or a stunted runt next to somebody that's going really well, dig it up. Take a look. Is the seed poor condition? Did it germ at all? Is it leafed out underground? Is there a different color to the mesocotyl, which is the tissue from the seed to the soil line? If it's not that crispy, what you'd want to eat in your nice lettuce salad material, you really want to take a look at that. Do I have discoloration? Do I have some issues on that on that shoot or on the root? The other thing would be the root color. Um, one thing you could note, we did a lot of pushing on the season for anhydrous. I know, especially in the center market, how much product went on this spring right ahead of the crop. And so do I have anhydrous burn on any of those young seedling roots? That can really affect the growth of that young seedling and hinder it and stunt it back. It may take off and do well later, but that's something I want to evaluate No. Where do I see that? And a lot of times when you get about V3 or 4, you can start to note the anhydrous track across the field where that went. If it went catty corner or if it went with the rows, you can find that later on if you do have an issue. Yeah, so those those are all great points, Sue. And, and, and I think you really touched on, you know, digging digging those seeds up. This is, this is probably the best time to evaluate, you know, 
is the seed there? Is it missing? Or, you know, what, what's the root cause of those erratic stands or missing seeds or, or, or whatever? And, and Sue, you, you bring a, a, a wealth of experience uh, to the team and, and uh, have some past experience with a, with a large equipment manufacturer. So I'm guessing this is probably the best time to evaluate your, your overall planner conditions. You know, what, uh, you know, how did that planner react to what you were asking for and, and, and evaluate what needs to be done before next season? I know it's, I know it's tough to start thinking about next season, but this is probably the best time to think about that. It really is. I know one thing that people people did struggle with. I had a couple phone calls and we're looking at the soil conditions. We were extremely mellow, which is a great seed bed to walk across when you're going in the field. So when we did get dry enough to plant, we had kind of a marshmallow fluff soil where you, it gave underneath your feet. You had a lot of movement to it. Even in no-till ground, it was very soft or fluffy soil under the residue. There were comments on the planter side, guys that have locked and gauged row cleaners, which were set at one set level. Did they sink too far? Did they move too much soil with the residue? Were they digging a furrow? So how do I, where do I set them? What's my happy medium? Add that with the wind, and we had some places where people were concerned, even on floating ones, where we were dropping into the soil just for the weight of the row cleaner. The floating ones do a fantastic job, but did we drop too far into that seed bed, and are we digging out a furrow? I think the fact that we were so mellow, we walked into those fields, and there's places I have pictures where the the furrow or the seed trench where we put the seed in the ground and then covered it with a closing system, it is three and four inches below the berm that's in between the row. And that's not a berm from a strip till rig. It's just the fact that we planted into super soft soil with a lot of air pockets in it, which is good conditions. But then we had rain come behind that in some places, sometimes heavy, that packed that down even further. So how deep was your seed really planted in the end? And where did it land? So when you germ that and the mesocotyl, how far up did you end up with an inch deep seed or did you end up with a, the two inch deep seed that you intended to when you planted? So evaluating where your seed depth is now after the rains and after the closing system on those machines, um, it's a great time to evaluate your planting equipment to say, hey, these are the conditions this year. What do I have on this machine for attachments? What can I do better with? I know I've talked to several that are highly impressed with their downforce systems and the adjustments on the newer machines that go row to row because you can vary soil tip, soil differences on a soil type, a heavier clay, a sand, different pockets within fields or different rows as they go across the residue in the field. You know, how do I, how do I gauge that and evaluate it for next year? Do I need to change or do I need to just sw simply switch out things like my disc openers? Are they worn? Do I have components that need traded out? Yeah, I think you touched on a couple key key points I wanted to re-highlight here. So, uh, you know, after these rains, you know, rechecking your your seed depth, you know, where did where did you end up final after some of that soil washed in uh, from those berms and, and your row cleaners? It's something that we we've really noticed with uh, adding in the the field view, uh, climate field view, and precision twenty twenty system. Uh, we noticed that as you, as nice as what it is to have the, uh, the clean sweeps and, and being able to adjust those row cleaners, uh, you really have to watch, uh, especially with a static row cleaner, you know, how is that going to affect your, your seed depth? Because those row cleaners do push that corn row unit out of the ground more than what a guy thinks. And that's something we've probably learned the most with that type system over the, over the last couple of years. So. Very much so. 
it's neat to be able to watch the monitors of today versus the ones 10 to 15 years ago and even 20 that are still in the marketplace and the variance, what you learn and what you see on your seed placement going down the row, or also the depth, the down pressure. You can really go back and track pieces of the field that way by utilizing the equipment we have today. Yeah, it seems like uh, we're we're almost uh, we're not we're not even looking back anymore. We're just kind of watching that uh, iPad and the monitor and the cab and our auto steer, and we just kind of look forward. And the monitor tells us everything we need to know. That's very true. It <laughs> makes it makes it very nice. It also makes you wonder if you got something going on right behind you if you're used right. to looking back all the time. Right, right. We we trust this uh, technology quite a bit. So, hey uh, Sue, before before we let you go, uh, give us a Give us a couple highlights on on a couple products that uh, you've you've seen. Obviously, uh, a lot of emerged crops and and corn and soy. Uh, what are, what are some highlights coming out of the ground on on those uh, DeKalb and Asgrow products? You know, the first thing I want to mention is we've had a had a couple of places where people are concerned on, hey, this was not the first thing out of the ground, or hey, this one's still not quite there, and the neighboring competitor or the neighboring crop is up, and it was planted the same day. You know, corn will mature or come out of the ground emergence-wise from 110 to 150 heat units, give or take on that particular product itself. So knowing that you get a consistent stand is what I want. I want one that's even across the field as much as you possibly can get it. And so if it's the first out of the ground, it's nice to see, and it's kind of that, that uh, first prize winner of I'm first out of the ground, but does that mean I'm first to yield in the fall? It can be a very good help, especially in heavier soil conditions or poorer soil conditions, maybe wetter or um, colder. They can be a, the early germ and quick germ can be fantastic. But the consistent crop is what I want to play the game in the end because that'll give me the ultimate yield. Um, overall, uh, we launched a product a couple of years ago that's been very consistent, not really fast out of the ground, but DeKalb uh, DKC 6434 and 6435, whether you're looking at a smart stacks or a double pro product. It's very consistent out of the ground. It is a little bit slower, maybe a day or two behind where some of the very first stuff out of the ground is, but I'd rather have that consistent crop across that field and the yield in the end's proven it in the last couple of years. We have a new product called DeKalb uh, 5835 and 34, which has looked fantastic in the field. It's also just a little bit notch slower. It won't be the first up, but it'll be a day or two behind it. But so far from the evaluations the agronomists have had across the state, it's been very, very consistent. And like I say, I'll take that any day of the week because it's not competing with the neighboring corn plant next to it to gain yield in the field. Um, we've launched a 111 and a 113 that look really strong. Uh, we have them in limited spots, so we're going to take notes very vigorously as we see more of those on the acres and see how they turn out in the end of the, end of the season. But so far, I've been impressed. I like to see the fact we gain heat units quickly and we got the crop up across the acres fairly consistently this year once we were able to get in the ground in good conditions. Yeah, I think uh, a good a good uh, start contrast from what we saw last year. We got the crop in, in in good timing and then we turned cool and wet. And I think, uh, I think I'd rather have that uh, turn a little wet and warm uh, this year versus last year. So, yes. Great. Hey, Sue, thanks a lot for joining us and, and giving us a 15 minutes of your time this morning. And, and thanks for those quick updates from Southern Iowa. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. So uh, we're going to next transition into Northern Iowa and, and talk uh, some of the conditions that we've got going on up there. So uh, we'll see you on the next, uh, uh, next uh, part of the podcast. Excellent.
So the next segment on the podcast, we're going to transition into uh, Northern Iowa. And we've uh, welcomed back our uh, friend of the podcast, Jim McDermott. Jim, welcome. Welcome back. Well, thanks, Brent. I uh, ha- ha- appreciate uh, being on again. Yeah, great. So uh, kind of an impromptu uh, little um, session here. We uh, we kind of talked about uh, maybe just talking about emergence and, and thought that we'd uh, transition into northern Iowa and and obviously we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh some of the planning delays and and things that you guys are facing up there and and just kind of walk us through some of those some of those decisions that that a lot of our our customers and growers are are facing here in, in the middle of May but but before we get there Jim let's let's talk about some of the corn that's in the ground and and maybe even some of the stuff that's that's coming through now and emerging uh you, i mean you've got you've got a little bit of corn in some pockets that, that made it in in decent time you know how did how do those pockets look jim oh you bet brent uh just as well start with the positives and a challenging planting season like we've had this year uh we did have an area especially as you get towards the uh, west central or uh, sioux city area that uh, uh, planting was able to take place around the April 26th, 27th, from there on, uh, those areas got some real good acres in. And boy, the positive has been the emergence. Um, once we got that corn in, we had uh, good soil temperatures, a lot of soil temperatures staying in the, uh, the mid even to upper 50s. Uh, so we were seeing emergence after about uh, 12 to 13 days. And so far from what I've seen, I've been happy with the way products have emerged. Uh, some of the new products, for example, like uh, DKC 5008 uh, has been a real nice one coming out of the ground so far. Uh, so we, we have very few plots and fields that uh, have been planted and emerged, but the ones that we do uh, have looked good so far. Any, any concerns, Jim, on anything that may have been uh, rushed in, you know, you know, they were staring at delays. Uh, they maybe rushed something in right before rain and then got, got a lot of rain on, on top of that. So any, any concerns there or did we, uh, follow suit and watch our conditions accordingly? Well, in a delayed, uh, planting season, like we've had, uh, there, there are always are some challenging conditions, uh, that growers did plant into, um, sometimes you, you, you think, well, the rain can help us out. And in some cases it may have at least, uh, softened up that ground. Uh, so far crusting has not been an issue. Sometimes if, if we push it and, and plan in too wet a conditions, uh, the crust, uh, will, will be a problem with emergence. Uh, but with the continued rains that has softened up the ground. So we haven't had too much of a crust. <clears throat> My concern is some of the conditions that at planting, uh, certainly could lead to some sidewall compaction and some potentially rootless corn syndrome or just a plain poor root development. And a little too early to tell on that situation yet, Brent, but uh, something we'll certainly have to watch for, especially if we do turn hot and dry. And it seems like most years, eventually we do get to that situation where we go from wet, cool to, to hot and dry. And, and if we have that happen in a hurry, uh, the sidewall compaction and poor root development are gonna be a situation that we'll have to watch very closely. Yeah, and I think uh, I think you kind of uh, addressed it well. Is just as far as it's it's something we're probably going to have to watch closely. I think I think we've all been 
all been guilty of it this year, even even here at the uh, Learning Center. We, we've done our fair share of uh, maybe rushing it a little bit just to just to stay ahead of the forecast here, especially in the last last week or so. And uh, we, we definitely didn't have to go far to find moisture and, and those sidewalls are are certainly something that we're going to watch uh, throughout the next the next few weeks. So. So unfortunately, Jim, let's let's transition into the uh, elephant in the room here. Uh, what you know, where you know, we last podcast we kind of talked about planning progress, and we were anywhere from pockets that had a good start to hadn't turned a wheel. So we're we're two weeks later now, May fifteenth. Uh, where give give the rest of the state a general idea what what's going on in that northern northern section of the state. Well, certainly. Plenty of variants still, uh, but we do have areas that uh, that you could almost still say have not turned a wheel, especially along the Minnesota border. That northern tier of counties uh, really is the most delayed area uh, where I work as far as north central and northwest Iowa. Um, I would say on average we're probably uh, 10% planted on corn in, in some of those areas as you get across, say, Dickinson, uh, Emmett, uh, Kasuth County. Um, beans you know essentially nothing done uh, maybe a few pockets with some beans in as you come farther south uh, certainly the planting levels increase uh, in some places dramatically uh, so we, we really still have a long ways to go on uh, corn as well as soybeans and you know we've talked all spring long about uh, of course not panicking and making sure we're, we're doing the right thing and, and making the right decisions both on planting conditions as well as hybrids. Um, you know, now we're getting to that point where we're, we're especially looking at the forecast and you know, we're, we're wet right now. Uh, there's potential for rain coming up. We don't know what will happen, but growers are certainly making plans now. If we do get continued rain, uh, what we need to start doing, especially once we get past the 20th or the 25th of May uh, for our corn hybrid decisions. Yeah, I think you kind of mentioned our, our our theme of the podcast the last month and a half has really been, you know, forecast isn't good, don't panic, you know, we've got plenty of time, but I think we're certainly getting to the point now where where we certainly have our our hand on the panic button and we're starting to think about the, <laughs> the next steps uh, just in case, you know, if, if we can get a good window, great, but but what if, uh, so what if we don't get that forecast and what if we get another, another spell here that, that puts us out into that 20th, 25th. So Jim, what, um, if we get to that, that 20th, 25th time frame and we're staring, uh, Memorial day in the face, uh, what, uh, you know, what are some of the things to avoid some, some knee jerk reactions, uh, to, to switching out corn or switching products or, I, I've heard I've I've heard a lot of scenarios going on where we we don't have fertility on yet. We might be switching to beans, or we're completely shifting our our corn uh, relative maturely portfolio back. At, you know, ten days or or whatever that is. So what you know what what's some tips and advice here as we as we move from the fifteenth into the twentieth, twenty second. Sure. And, and you're right. You know, we, we don't want to panic, we, we, but we do need to have those contingency plans. And sometimes it's plan B, C and D and E on down the road if we continue to get the wet weather. But as we, we look at the, the 20th of May, that's uh, nothing 
magical or set in stone, but that's a date when, when uh, I would recommend we start looking at, at changing maturities on corn. Of course, depending on what a grower is originally planting. Um, a lot of cases, we've got growers that are not uh, pushing it as far as their full season maturities. And so, you know, if they were planting in, in for example, say in, in Clay County, if they were planting 105 day, uh, that's not necessarily the fullest season hybrid uh, for that area. So they could stay with that hybrid um, easily until the, the 25th, if not the 1st of June, uh, depending on the type of hybrid. You'd like to look at hybrids that have very good dry down, uh, good test weight, uh, ideally early flowering. Those type of hybrids, you feel like you can push it a little bit normal longer than maybe some of our other hybrids that are relative maturity rated the same, but have some different characteristics. It's a key thing too, as we, we start to push these later planting dates is, you know, we don't want to give up yield first and foremost, but we also want to maintain stock quality. We want to maintain drought tolerance. And that's certainly something that we see uh, happen as we get later planting dates, uh, stock quality and drought stress um, become even more important uh, with those later planting dates. Typically we're, we're pollinating into a, a hotter, drier period um, those plants tend to get a little bit taller, so stock quality uh, can go down. So we don't want to give up those key agronomic factors as we push our planting dates later. And that's why we certainly don't want to suddenly jump, say if we were planting a 105-day hybrid, down to a 95-day or a 90-day hybrid, as typically we're going to give up uh, not only yield, but some of the agronomics that I was. Yeah, I, I think we still want to set ourselves up for, for decent potential, you know, it unfortunately we always tend to think in in terms of averages as far as mother nature goes but uh but if you think back it seems to go from extreme to extreme and then we get an average uh, among years that to set to set uh, an average amongst the extremes and many times we talk about you know too wet too wet and then in on the same year we're talking about too dry uh, all in the same year. So if we if we transition into that dry phase or hot and dry, you know, a lot of the decisions that we're going to make in the next 10 days could be uh, really, really get, a, you know, come to, I don't know, you know, really just get over uh, exuberated and, and really just shine uh, through a sidewall compaction and corn maturity in the fall and, and a lot of these decisions are really going to affect here uh, come late June, July and, and August. So, Right. We've got a long ways to go with this growing season. Um, you know, the really hybrids will adjust. They will be able to get by to black layer on uh, less heat units, uh, roughly 150 to 200 less heat units uh, that we can mature our corn uh, once we are later planting. Um, just by taking advantage of, of the, the vegetative growth during a little bit of a warmer period. Uh, so we do gain you know, versus uh, some of the earlier planting dates as far as needing less heat, heat units. And, and really it, another factor with that too is, is past history. You know, we have history with some of these hybrids of being able to plant late and, and mature and dry down. In fact, I would cite a uh, Iowa State study that was done at the Northwest Research Farm. Uh, this was over a two-year period. Uh, but on, for example, on a May 28th planting date, as comparing a 105-day maturity hybrid to a 98-day maturity hybrid, um, we gave up 26 bushels an acre by jumping to that earlier maturity hybrid. 
again, over the average of those two years on a May 28th planting date. And of course, the, the fuller season hybrid, the 105 day was a little bit wetter, but to only three points difference. So, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind, you know, it feels like a very late date, but uh, by sticking with that uh, adapted hybrid or a little bit fuller maturity hybrid, we were certainly able to gain yield without adding much more moisture. Yeah. And I, and I know everybody's, uh, everybody's situation is different, but I, I think if you, if you run the economics uh, on that, I think I'd rather, rather dry a little corn than, and, and instead of, of not having the bushels uh, too dry uh, at the end of the year. So let's, uh, let's think a little bit about beans here. We, we often get stuck on corn and, and rightfully so that's going to be the priority here in that uh, corridor up there, Jim. But what, uh, what are we going to do with beans here, Jim, to maximize that uh, vegetative uh, stage or maximize our leaf area uh, before that June 21st uh, window, the, uh, that summer solstice and, and that maximize that light, light interception here before before we get too late sure brett and that you're exactly right you know it's all about maximizing light interception and, and canopy um you know, you know on beans uh, granted we forget we have very little planted to date but we've also got uh, a lot longer of window of planting on soybeans especially as far as our maturity in fact one of the worst things we can do is early up our maturities uh, as we get into the later planting dates because uh, typically earlier maturity varieties are, are going to be a little shorter anyway. And by later planting date, we can exaggerate that shortness in, in plant height. So we want to keep the adapted maturities, the maturities that were originally planned well into June. Uh, as a matter of fact, the middle part of June is, is typically the date that we would say, you know, start looking at some earlier maturities. So we've got obviously a long ways to go there, but as we get into late May and especially early June, um, the things we can do to, to help ourselves out as far as maximizing uh, that sunlight capture is, is possibly going narrow row. You know, I like to recommend after June 1st, if at all possible, uh, try to get a narrow row than 30 inches. Um, we can get quicker canopy for weed control as well as moisture conservation. And then again, also trying to maximize that sunlight. Uh, also, as we get into the June planting dates, um, upping the plant population certainly can help too. Again, with that canopy, also we can force a little taller plant height. We can get those pods up off the ground. Um, but as we get later in planting date, typically we're going to have shorter soybeans. So anything we can do to get those soybeans taller, get more nodes, as well as getting that canopy, uh, very important to maximizing yield as well as the canopy for weed control. Right. And, and I think, uh, you know, soybeans are, are a unique a unique animal and uh, they, they sense the competition and uh, that higher population they can sense. And, and instead of growing outward, we want to force them upward to, like you said, get those pods up, uh, get more of them, get more nodes uh, growing uh, as we, as we get them growing uh, upward instead of sideways as well. So, uh, so Jim, any, any last uh, tips here uh, going into the next uh, 10, 12 days or otherwise uh, we'll uh, send you off and, and keep, keep fighting the good fight. Well, a couple things, I guess on corn, you know, we typically don't recommend changing much on population or planting depth. Sometimes um, we've seen in past years where growers might uh, um, shallow up the population as we've got wetter, or excuse me, shallow up the planting depth as we, as we get into wetter conditions. And 
that's absolutely can be one of the worst things to do. So, you know, maintain our planting depth, maintain our, our same population as we get in later on corn. Uh, and on the soybean side, um, you know, seed treatments are, are still very key. As we get later, we know we have warmer soil temperatures. So the risk of uh, some of the cool soils, uh, diseases like pythium are slightly less, but we ask, actually increase some of the, uh, the warmer weather diseases uh, like Phytophthora or even Rhizoctonia as we get into the later stages of our planting window. So you know, make sure that we are treating our soybeans uh, with a good fungicide uh, is very important as we get into some of these late May and, and early June planting dates. Yeah, uh, good good points, Jim. And, and we, we're certainly uh, certainly uh, pulling for a good a good forecast for you guys, or your guys are due for for something good here in the next next ten days. So uh, hopefully hopefully we get there. Like you said, I think a, a quick summary is just to just keep your head in the game, uh, keep keep your uh keep your game plan uh moving forward but certainly have uh have some of those contingency plans uh ready and and action items in place and ready to go just in just in case we need to to switch things up and and be smart uh, about those contingency plans and and we've tried to give you a few tips here on on uh, setting those uh setting those contingency plans up so Thanks, Jim. Uh, good to have you back, and, and hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll we'll have a, a much better story, and and we'll be talking uh, emergence and some of the in-season decisions once we get to that point. So, well, I'm sure we will, Brent. You bet. And uh, thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully uh, everyone is is uh, busy planting when they're listening to this. Yes, that that would be great. Uh, so thanks again, Jim. Uh, like I said, if if you guys have any questions uh, on the podcast or. Uh, any of our loyal listeners, you know, be sure and, and, and give us a shout out on, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and use the hashtag Ask Iowa Agronomy. And we'd love to, love to have those uh, questions come in and we'll uh, answer them uh, as we go throughout the season. So thanks again, and uh, we'll hear you back in a couple weeks. Thanks. <laughs>